Welcome back to the Twin Geeks. I'm here with David. We're um, celebrating the career of an auteur that's extremely close to our hearts uh, and the uh, heart of the website. Yeah. Should we start with that or should we start? I, I like how you started us off with a, an Omen reference. You said, uh, uh, let's count down and, and that made me laugh. <laughs> well, it's uh, not a cold day in the park here. The sun's finally coming out and uh, you ready to uh, uh, Brewster and McLeod this show? Uh, let's mash it yeah yeah mash it all together <laughs> and what do you get uh, a couple of delinquents chatting about movies is, uh, that's true that's the course of our show today so yeah I, th I think we've said this before but uh we we kind of founded the the website the podcast on uh, uh on a bond over uh, an altman film had you seen an altman film before i told you about mccabe that's a good question i wonder if i had um Interesting. I don't know if I had uh, seen Altman. I, that might have been my first Altman. It was, yeah. So, so basically, the partnership of Calvin and I here is predicated on the idea that we were going to make. We wanted to do like a, a joint piece, like like a collaborative piece on a Western film. And I threw out McCabe and Mrs. Miller, uh, a film I had seen fairly recently at that point, as something that might be of interest to talk about in terms of a revisionist Western. And you hadn't seen it, and it just, and so we watched it together one morning and, and, it, and we were totally enamored together. I, I had seen it, but I think I had not appreciated it as fully until that second time. And then of course, ever since then, but uh, we'll talk more about McCabe next week, obviously. Yeah, but yeah it's, it's, it's a huge highlight for uh, how this all came together. And uh, it wasn't our first podcast, but it was a no. impetus for why we started. I think I think we did it on our 50th podcast, right? We did it for our noteworthy one right. yeah. or something. I bet uh, if I just, Let's go to the, the web page here. There's probably a milestone one that sounds right. Yeah, because yeah, it was important. So there'll be thoughts there to listen to McCabe. It was number 51. Okay, so I was close. Okay, wow. That's a long time ago now. Uh. It is. I didn't see when. I, I closed out of the tab already. But it was a while ago. And sure. here we are. Here we are coming full circle to complete the, the Altman uh, endeavor, and which is a lot. On, uh... We're on 159 now. We've done, you know, over 100 podcasts since then. So uh, we're very experienced and uh, uh, mature old fellas now. Yeah, maybe not better, but definitely more experienced. Older. We're definitely <laughs> yeah. older, older than we were. Yeah, for sure. I, I think that's true that we've gotten older since that last show. Um, uh, it's, that's almost 100% verifiable. <laughs> Uh, we we just started as a, a couple of delinquents. Now we're just older delinquents. Um, uh, that was uh, the first film by Robert Altman, not always included in the uh, considered filmography. Uh, fewer of our friends have seen delinquents, I would think. Than yeah, you know, we we almost missed it honestly because when I when I presented you the list of all the Altman films to cover, I overlooked this one because it's sandwiched between on on his like IMDb credits a bunch of television work okay. and and so i had to like kind of go back and it was only when i was re-listening to uh the altman biography uh the the, the uh, oral biography uh on my uh on my phone my audiobook that, that they were covering this film i was like did i miss something was there another <laughs> film that that i didn't look at and I, and I and i flipped through i'm like oh shit yeah that is a feature film uh and, and so we we, we just watched this one and included it in the list here we almost just started with the next one I, was I, it I a theatrical release it feels it like a tv thing but uh it, 
It was. It, it, it even garnered the attention of uh, one Alfred Hitchcock. Uh, he, he saw the film and thought Altman, Altman was quite the director, and so he brought him on to hire uh, to do some Alfred Hitchcock Presents episodes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so so this got him his foot in the door for Hollywood. It was... Um, and, he, and Altman had done, uh, like, a script before this. Like, he started as a writer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Altman, Altman was... Um, He's actually kind of interesting in terms of uh, where where he kind of fits in amongst the new Hollywood filmmakers generation because he, he definitely is of, of a piece with those seventies tours, but uh, he's much older than than the majority of them. Uh, the last one we covered, Peter Bogdanovich, he, he's um, like a whole generation older than than Bogdanovich was. Mm-hmm. He's, he served in World War II. He was uh, he he served on a a, a bomber. Um, he was fairly old then when he started making movies. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, he was he was in his thirties, I believe, when he went when I started making this film. Um, and again, like he didn't break out until nineteen seventy, really. So, sure, yeah, that's a long ways to uh, to go from starting to breaking right. out. Uh, nowadays, your career would end before you got there if your first three films weren't magnificent and there wasn't something well, that, as a breakout. A, it wouldn't work anymore. <laughs> there's that huge gap because the Delinquents came out in nineteen fifty seven. You know, that's still proper old Hollywood times. Uh, I think about that a lot, like all the would-be Altmans and people that could be having great careers, both in music and movies, who don't get the chances they used to get. Like uh, People used to have a little leg room to fail, uh, a little bit more privilege um, than modern filmmakers get. Uh, I mean, you could have a lopsided filmography back then. Yeah. Um, and again, like there, there's this period where, where TV was the place to break in at that time. So, you know, he he had done uh, another film just for, he did a documentary film on, on James Dean that same year, right in the wake of James, De- uh, James Dean's death. They made it, uh, like, like basically immediately, they just went and uh, shot this kind of slap together thing, and it was really successful. And that's how he got uh, the, the, the feature gig. Um, from the script he wrote, uh, Altman's also the writer of Delinquents. So out, out the gate as well, that's another noteworthy thing, is that this is a film written and directed by Robert Altman. He is the credited author or auteur of this debut. And uh, effectively, it's a public service announcement against delinquency. Um, it says that uh, delinquency is a disease, an illness. Uh, that's a very strange uh, perspective, of course, dated to the 50s. That's a, yeah. not, not a modern perspective of how... Um, delinquency works or how people fall into those uh holes based on institutional pressures this uh, this is a this is a pretty textbook example of like a a b d grade kind of um uh, you know uh, uh like like student youth re- you know rebellion kind of movie of that time um you know uh, making a kind of an exploitation of you know, teenagers as this problem of society kind of picture. You you know the kind of film it is when you're walking into it, and it's it's about as textbook an example as that gets. You know, like like it just kind of hits all the beats all the way through, and then kind of immediately leaves your mind. <laughs> it has those like uh, fear quotes that like those fifties sixties like a uh, PSAs to teenagers would always have. Mm-hmm. Um, part of it's like. The story you're about to see is about violence and morality. <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. Like and it that has was, that preference. And that, that was preference. tacked on. That was not like 
obviously something Altman wanted in the movie. That was, you know, the studio. I believe that was, this is a Columbia film, I think. Sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, who knows? Nobody's listening. It's good. United Artists. It was United Artists. But, you know, it could have been Columbia. Could have been any of them. Because that's how it's kind of boilerplate it is. It's a very boilerplate, you know, teen you know, problem film. I don't know what, what what exactly would you call this category of film? I can't a even think of it. Teen exploitation might be sure. Sure, yeah. let's coin it. Coin <laughs> boom. Teen exploitation movie from the fifties. And it's a cry to a busy world that just might not pay attention to delinquency, and it solved the problem, which is really great. People just need to hear not to be delinquents, and then it set them right in their ways. Yeah. So, what did you think of the movie itself? it's very strange that uh well of course we have the bit with like the young people partying that's all fine but then we're introduced to our main character in his home uh, he walks by his little sister he like uh, flips up her skirt and it's just like focusing on her but it's like well that's a little inappropriate and strange for the movie to i think that's a proper introduction to the main character before he's uh told off about dating younger women and uh, that's just a weird tone to strike right off but, uh, yeah, well, 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 that's that delinquency, you know, it's a disease. <laughs> um, I, I guess so. I, I, what do I think of the film? It's hard to really pin down what, um, to think of a public service announcement that, I mean, like, what is the function now of one that came, what, like 60, 70 years ago for me? It's, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a little better than just like a, a public service announcement kind of film. Like it's not as stilted as I think that might come across for, for all intents and purposes. I think it's a well-directed movie that is effectively soulless and, and has no personality. It doesn't have like any kind of hints of naturalism that you'd get from later Altman. Like his authorial voice isn't there necessarily, but like, it's it's competently made. It's you know the the cinematography is you know nominal in in in, in some way. It's not incompetent by by any stretch. You know, and uh, it, you get some decent performances. You know, like the the leading guy I thought was compelling enough. You know, and and it's short. You know, and so it like it was like mild brain entertainment for like the hour and ten minutes that that I watched it for. But it also like made no impact on me it was you know it was in, in you haven't thought about it ever since not not even slightly like e even the skirt thing like the only reason i've thought about that at all is because you made a point of like you know pointing directly at it in in your review i probably would have just like lost that image immediately had had you not pointed it out uh, and afterwards i had trouble focusing on the character and thinking that i should care about them after that oh uh, yeah as, yeah as I didn't want to see uh, yeah, I don't romances think after that. There's nothing in the script that compelled me. It was all in the direction and the performances, like, and and it was all like of an admirable level. You know, uh, like I said, it, it was so, such a nothing, such a boilerplate kind of script without any, you know, tangible characters or interest that it uh, it's immediately forgettable. So much so that I have I'm I'm struggling to recall much about what happens in it <laughs> even in this moment. Yeah. But but the craft at least made an impact on me, and I said. Oh, okay. I can see why someone like Hitchcock or you know any of the other uh, TV producers at the time saw this movie and was like, "This kid can probably make you know a decent uh, show for us or whatever." You know, let's get him on here. Yeah, I think and, the visual uh, language in connection to you know the movies that it's evident that Altman has seen already, all the noirs and uh, some of the you know 
um, some of how he's framing things is interesting, and he can direct evidently already. Yeah, but but it's not at the same time it's not exemplary either. Again, there's there's not a uniqueness to his craft here at this point. It's it's very standard, but it's good standard. You know, it's it's very competent and and very clearly like this guy's gonna go on versus other, you know, like like Z grade noirs of that time where it's just like ugly to look at. <laughs> you know, it's it's not even you know visually like you can draw anything there you know the framing is all good and uh there's nothing like his zoom shots or anything yet like those signatures that we'd get mm -hmm. from altman but i think that's also just a a lack of access to to those <laughs> right. you know, physical tools like like and those not like, quite being, being a thing in you know that that yeah. point i mean they weren't yeah. a major fixture until you know like people like altman really made those a fixture so right and also just like tonal like 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 i can't imagine those like you know pensive zoom shots in, in a film like this which is <laughs> so funny like, can, can yeah. You, yeah it it wouldn't make sense it'd be totally incongruent so that that doesn't really exist in this capacity here um but yeah there's there's not really a whole lot to say on the delinquents other than like i i see it as kind of like a you know historic marker like oh this is the beginning of altman this is the his his foot in the door this is where you know his uh, promise as a director kind of manifests. Uh, it is not noteworthy to me as a film otherwise. Like, I, I wouldn't have watched it for any other reason than that. And I almost didn't, because I almost <laughs> didn't know it was Altman's first film. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think the acting is pretty spare in it. It has uh, Tom Laughlin, who's in quite a few things around 40s, 50s, and uh, Peter Miller, who's in Rebel Without a Cause. So it's kind of curving from uh, some of the, you know, James Dean territory and uh, kind of misunderstanding what uh, the cause and function of yeah, rebellion there's, is there's there's better films from the same time period that's of at, least mind. A couple, yeah. uh, at, at least for lead character like if, if i feel bad not giving like a recommendation off off the top of my head but um i'll, I'll go back and like the, the main guy makes me think of um what's his name here uh thick morrow in uh blackboard jungle in terms okay. of this Rebellious youth characterization. Uh, Blackboard Jungle, of course, another film we talked about in conjunction with the Bogdanovich podcast and Sidney mm -hmm. Poitier and such. Uh, so that's another, uh, your second recommendation for Blackboard Jungle from me. Uh, check that out. And in terms of, again, like this rebellious youth sense here, you know, less gangster stuff, but more, you know, insubordination. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't feel like there's that much here that I, I, I think there's a tendency to be like, Oh, I already see the trademarks of a style, but I don't think they're here no, yet. No, no, the trademarks of the style, it's, as we'll get to, it was a very clear point where those come into being, um, and this is not it. But the competence and the capability of Altman as a director is marked here. Mm -hmm. And that is the only note of significance for the delinquents. There's, there's no other reason really to to talk about it, I think. Sure. Uh, that's that's perfectly fine. We had to get it in there just to establish. It's important. Thing. It's 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 again. That's why we go through these. You know, we got to hit the, the the speed bumps as well. Look, I think it's better still than the next one. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess my delinquency thing. Uh, maybe just go watch uh, Truffaut's Four Hundred Blows or something. Who knows? Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure you'll find more in it than this. And it's from the same era. Uh, Fifty nine. There Truffaut's you go. Yeah. So okay. Um. For the next film, I think uh, I think there's a whole category of films better than it that, that take on space race and yeah. Uh, so this is this is 
10 years later. So Altman did not oh, that, make another feature far. film okay. for 10 years. So that, that film was 57. Countdown came out in 67. And this is uh, more of like a proper movie like that one. Again, like they, they shot it. They shot delinquents in Kansas City where Altman's from. This is an actual like proper Hollywood movie. You've got James Caan and Robert Duvall starring here. Like, you know, up and coming names for the 60s at the sure. time. And, you know, so, so it was a uh, proper studio movie, um, but that kind of makes it worse. It's got like less leeway for me for how, uh, how, how unnoteworthy it is. Uh, it, it does have, I, I guess, maybe again, if I'm, if I'm justifying anything here, like unlike the delinquents, like it is significant in a historical sense in that it is about, you know, the space race, like, like in that final moments before like the, the moon landing really kind of completes that chapter of it sure. and so this this final insight into the sci-fi genre before that monumental achievement and perspective of what you know uh the a, a moon landing is is actually like you know it but at, at the same time you know it's that's not no notable enough to really like you know float like there, there's way more interesting movies about that from even you know you know decades before that that are like sure. oh this this predicted that or oh this was more accurate like this like the, the drawing of parallels and comparisons to what we thought being on the moon was like to what it actually is like is is the thinnest of historical nuggets to to hang your <laughs> significance on i think it's interesting to go back to that era especially right now with everything going on in ukraine everything of that era of um I guess you'd say it's like just anti-Russian sentiment and how that was built off the uh, backs of the space race. Everything, of course, in the wars before. Um, uh, you could tie it back to a further history, but that's like the very public visage of like America versus Russia in like the uh, culture writ large. Like it, it's a big image of uh, our dominance over them that we've held over them and um, that they're very envious of <laughs> and this movie's all about that racing them up to the moon and what does that really get us I guess a big image to think about yeah it's uh I think it's a real mess it's real muddled uh, up front like like the whole plot hinges on like like I think the, the tension of the story hinges on whether they're going to get to the beacon like there, there's this <laughs> thing about this beacon because the whole plan for the 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 shuttle mission here is that they're going to send up one guy in a rocket and mm -hmm. he he's gonna have to survive on the moon in a shelter that they send up ahead of time um until they can send more resources or support it's it's pretty unclear because the movie just gets right into it and it's talking about this beacon and this shelter like off the bat before they even establish what the hell it is mm -hmm. and, and you don't actually see like it's it's not clear if the beacon and the shelter are already there and they're just preparing to get there and if the, the Russians are also racing to this or who sent it up until like they actually do send it up later. Like it's just, it's entirely unclear and not well communicated. And like all, all of the tension isn't really manifested until like those final, I don't know, like 15 minutes. <laughs> like, and, and it's all building up to this. There's this like tension between Duvall who, who wants to be the guy to go up to the moon sure. and Khan because he's, like not a scientist and they want to send up a scientist and a non-scientist instead for like the publicity of it <sighs> and um, it's just so so uninteresting it's so boring <laughs> if i had to recommend a movie like this it would be beavis and butthead do the universe um, 
wherein they take uh, the the shuttles and they're like playing with them at the NASA space space camp and they uh they keep sliding them in like a like a penis going in a vagina and they're like uh, we gotta send these boys into space and they're like uh, who are we gonna send in you know the crew from the nineties these old uh, doofuses uh, just like uh, countdown um, it the if the film gets by at all it's like because I like James Caan and Robert Duvall as actors, like they are acting's better. Yeah, th- yeah, they're 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 compelling as like performers, even if the material is like utterly inane. I'm like, ah, oh, they're they're people to root for, I guess, and, and you're just barely gripping on. Again, this is a case where Altman doesn't really come through, but I think it's this time not by his own fault. He was actually fired from the movie. Uh, oh really? Yeah. Oh, you don't you don't know about this? Okay, I no, can no. tell you. Yeah. So so the ending of the movie is first of all completely different the way Altman shot it. They 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 redid the ending. The ending that Altman had was supposed to be more ambiguous. Like Khan gets up to the moon and he finds the dead Russian astronauts, and he's looking around. He starts going off in a different direction, and like the camera like kind of like comes out, and you see the beacon in the opposite direction of where he's going. And so it's like this ambiguous idea of is he going to get to the shelter in time? Is he not going to find it? Ooh, but you know, instead, uh, in the movie, it's you know he finds the shelter and it's more triumphant. He takes down the Russian flag and he hoists up the American one instead. Embarrassing, yeah, yeah, dumb, 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 patriotic. Jingles. So he didn't direct yeah. that. No, no, they okay. redid that, and um, uh, and actually, he was he was fired from Jack by by Jack Warner, the head of the studio, okay. because when when he was watching the the rough cut, he he said that, uh, you know, this this moron has actors talking over each other. <laughs> which it's is a like, very talkative movie. Well, they and they and they reshot that stuff again, like mm. what Altman was trying to do. This is this was Altman trying to carve out his voice and the unique sense of naturalistic rapport that would come to define his direction, you know, and his approach again, you know, just and being more improvisational. But again, Jack Warner didn't like that. Fired him, reshot the stuff, and you know, when James Conn saw the cut, he said, "You, you, you, you cut Altman right out of the picture." That was his, uh. his sentiment about it. So yeah, so yeah James that. James Conn was not happy about it. I don't think anyone generally involved was happy about the changes here. They, you know, it seems like the movie was better the way it was before, but now the what it is is just I, I don't know that it was good though before but, like yeah, watching I everything else. I don't think there's a good movie in here, but uh No, cuz it's all so perfunctorily, you know, constructed. <laughs> right. It's, it's totally inane and boring and dull and the the, the politics of it are just the most uh, uninteresting thing, you know, it's, it, it doesn't feel like Altman as much, you know, even I would say as much as the last one, it's, it's such a trial to get through. It was, I, I, I had to kind of like watch this piecemeal just because I, uh, I, I would have fallen asleep otherwise. <laughs> There's uh yeah, not, not a lot here again. And it's kind of inverse where I think the acting with the uh, Khan and Duvall is pretty good, and I think the direction doesn't show as it maybe it's because, like he says, they took him out of the picture. Yeah, but how much? Like, you can't reshoot an entire movie, yeah, you know, I'm sure. just because you don't it's... like it. Yeah, <laughs> you know, only only so much of it is not Altman's, I think. So, so much of this is his here, and so, uh, it's again another, you know, like, like un- otherwise unnoteworthy footnote. It would be entirely forgettable as a sci fi film, uh, as a space race film if Altman's name were attached to it. I, th- I think I said this in, in my review for it. I said it's, it's less a movie than it is a credit 
for everyone involved. <laughs> sure, that makes sense. Uh, and I feel like the same way about the first one, which is a PSA, and it's more just a credit and a, a early showing of a style, like a, it would almost be like a camera test, but a, a more formative one. Um, how would you feel about uh, space race movies in general? Is that a genre that you're interested? You don't seem very space oriented. <laughs> like your watches don't veer that way. Yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not big on the, 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 the kind of like hard sci-fi space movies. Like obviously you've got like your 2001s and such, which are, are, are masterpieces of cinema uh, and, and, you know, so much in technique and everything. But as far as like your, your, your right stuffs or your Apollo 11s or, or whatnot, uh, any kind of conventional, even the more sci-fi ones, like, like people like Moon, right? That's a, mm -hmm. that's a movie that people like, yeah, yeah. <sighs> I'm I'm not as interested in sci-fi. I was never like a like a like a a, a NASA kid, you know. Or, and you're not oh, like a Trekkie or anything that I can no, tell. No, I get like like more fantastical sci-fi certainly can be interesting to me, but uh, you know the more more kind of technical stuff with all mm -hmm. these you know buttons and your spacesuits and stuff. I don't know. It just didn't didn't appeal to me. You know, there's I maybe because of how intangible it, it all seems because it's not <laughs> something I can I can feasibly achieve or, or witness in in my life maybe guess, it's because maybe it's because i don't believe in the moon landing maybe because i because it's it was not real i don't see why yeah. you would believe in it um i mean hell of a hell of a picture though kubrick yeah yeah i think it's interesting yeah i uh maybe kubrick did it more justice in here but i uh, i guess uh this reminds me a lot of the um, Richard Linklater Apollo 10 and a half, which is just people like sitting around thinking and talking about space that came out a few weeks ago. Uh, not, not very much utility in that either. I like the documentaries about space, actually. Uh, Apollo 11 and For All Mankind, uh, For mm -hmm. All Mankind from the 80s and Apollo 11 from a couple of years ago. Um, what about, what um, about uh, The Martian? How do you feel about that one? The Martian? Uh, pretty pretty good i feel i feel good yeah, Martian. Okay, how do good. you feel i i liked it a lot when it came out and i saw it i was i was really enamored by it. i know it's i i read the book as well and i didn't like that as much but uh i i think that's kind of controversial to say now i think you know pe people saw it as like a kind of dumb general audience <laughs> popcorn movie so what uh, <laughs> there's, yeah, a, there's I, a space I, for that yeah i i i liked it i liked when matt damon did the iron man thing i guess yeah, i don't know I, I thought it was funny i i'm a man of simple pleasures sometimes but i don't know how i feel about it today i but, think you, know, you told me that the iron man thing happens that i was reading the book and i was like holy shit they really say he did the iron man thing like, yeah uh, yeah quite quite literally <laughs> yeah he, they literally say he became iron man or something in the book as he as there's, he, there's yeah. lots of those Pop, I think that's a, those are the kind of things that people thought it was dumb, like the like the Lord <laughs> of the Rings reference too, with Sean Bean there. I don't see why it shouldn't be dumb in space sometimes too. That's why the Beavis and Butthead is the greatest space movie of our times. Uh, it's a good right. movie. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, I like The Martian, and I think we're both. I mean, I'm not like a super fan or something. I just think it's no. a you know, I'm a Ridley Scott guy, and I'm a yeah, defender of a lot of questionable Ridley Scott movies. So. It's it's far and away his best sci-fi movie, right? We 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 think that. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, the cold day in the. <laughs> I think that's our longest <laughs> silence in the uh, podcast history. I, I would you know, edit it, it out. It was, it, it was deserved. It was a deserved <laughs> silence. <laughs> if only they could see the stare, just the empty 
dead eyes I have right now. I thought I thought the I thought the podcast was over at that point. <laughs> I thought we were done. <laughs> Did we ever get a legend podcast recorded? I forget. We've tried twice, right? I, uh, once I think we okay. tried once with that one. We'll, we'll do it eventually. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, I don't know if we will not. Maybe we'll do uh, like a. I don't know thing. if we'll do Riddle. Le- legend is a good movie. It's his best fantasy movie. We I think both I like Legend that. a whole lot. Um, this is a, this is an Altman podcast though, not a, not a really Scott podcast. Sure, and mm-hmm. uh, you know what uh, Altman's recognized for are uh, movies in uh, Vancouver area. Um, two yeah. of them. Yeah, <laughs> all all two. All two of them. Uh, the cold day in the park was some, something I found very endearing as a Pacific Northwesterner, the, and you are one too. This uh, this movie is the birth of Altman. This is the starting point, like, for real. This is where Altman is Altman. This is where the style comes through. This is where those those more pensive moments come, his signature zoom shots, his naturalistic performances and sense for for dialogue. Like, watching the other two movies and watching this feels like whiplash. They're just directed completely differently, and they have this entirely different tone, and this is much more of a piece with everything that comes after. Uh... (laughs) So, I, I like, think if, a lot. If you, if you listener are going to do an Altman watch, you can mm-hmm. start here. You don't got to bother with those other ones unless you really just want to say, "Yes, Robert Altman directed that movie." Our friend Graham Austin, he has a great piece on our site about the insert shots in Misery. This is kind of like a a suspended misery type story wherein uh, a woman holds a guy in. And I was thinking about those insert shots. And how instead of inserting, uh, Altman will take the camera and, you know, he'll refocus it up on some other object. Like the objects are still vitally important in this, the way they are in misery. And it will focus on those objects of the apartment and that that uh, confined space as it exists to the characters and, um, and shows their relationship to those objects in a really interesting way that I think is very reflected in Graham's misery piece mm-hmm. too. It's it's not a thriller in the traditional sense in that you're like on edge throughout, but there's this this ominous air throughout it because you're very uncertain about the motivations and the actions of any particular character. They all have these these personal agendas that are kind of revealed at at various points. And again, like this this lack of communication between everyone, particularly uh, you know, it's kind of centered around this dynamic between. A, a lonely woman who spies a man out in the cold on a bench and invites him in and he's just this very quiet shut off individual for their entire interaction and so she has her own purpose for keeping him around and kind of nurturing him and he has this reason for for being quiet and reclusive but also like utilizing her and her and her you know her grace that that, that she provides him for his own purposes and that's the kind of interesting dynamic that you you follow throughout, and what's this the, the the real meat of the movie? I think it's so nice to kind of live in that that space. Um, I know it's not often like outdoors, but the parts that are do feel Pacific Northwest. Something about the vibe of the movie also sounds feels like Vancouver. It's nice. Um, I think we'll see a lot more of that in McCabe, of course, but uh, at least uh, some preliminary interests that are you know leading. Uh-oh up here the novel was set in paris i believe and uh they they just they shot it in vancouver because it's cheaper obviously yeah (laughs) but it works you know you it 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 utilizes the environment in a in a similar way that you would the 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 kind of dour setting the 
you know overcast nature of, of the environment is is very well utilized as a component of the atmosphere and we're not fans of france uh, um we <laughs> prefer our uh, north american spaces that, yeah if they're gonna speak french they gotta do it in quebec yeah please quebecois quebec nah is what we say <laughs> Um, that, that being said, I think it's a bit of a, a muddled movie. It's not uh, you know, entire. Maybe. Yeah, it's like, like, what do you get from it at the end of it? Like, what, what's the kind of like inclusive feelings or, or thematic richness that you can pull from it? I think for me, I'm someone who like lives inside like the feeling of the movie and what uh, it evokes for me and what the experience feels like, like experientially where I'm like sitting with the movie and um, going like, okay, this is you know, everything I felt during the movie, it, um, it kept me captivated. I was interested in the performers. I liked their dynamics. I like what it said about the spaces and the characters' relationships to them. And I like uh, how divergent their lives were, but how they were brought together and needed each other for this thing. Um, but, but like, what did I get out of, like, what am I going to do with what I got out of the movie? Almost nothing, right? Um, yeah, I, I think it, like, in terms of the, the ultimate, like, impact the, the material leaves or what messaging it's it's kind of coming across, what, what it's kind of, like, picking at with the characters, uh, I ultimately leave it with no real revelations or, or ideas about that. I'm mostly just enjoying the atmosphere and the dynamics of, of the movie when watching. And I think that leaves an impact, but not a... a, a especially lasting one not one that i really reflect over for lots of time you know and i'm still uh, thinking about it relative to those first two movies I, i'm thinking uh, about yeah. re-watching it one day and, and um i guess uh, at least out of this selection it is the one that stands out and makes me feel a little bit warmer about this episode oh 100 i think so again it's definitely the strongest showing of, of the ones we've talked about here thus thus far and Again, it's it's definitely like the actual noteworthy birth of Altman. Uh, it's also significant in the sense that you get a, a an actual collaborator here for, for the first time. Sandy Dennis um, mm -hmm. plays the main character. She does she she has a terrific performance, I think, in here, and she shows up in a later Altman film that is a real treat, a real surprise that I really uh, love her in. I'll be excited to talk about that one sure. later. But yeah, so so you're you're starting now to gather Altman's interest in particular performers, you know, you're kind of assembling a, a, a noteworthy cast, um, of, you know, of collaborators. Uh, and again, the, that direction really comes through, you're seeing those zoom shots, you're seeing that overlapping dialogue, you're seeing that kind of focus on atmosphere over story. I got, I got a quote here, actually, from Altman that, that kind of sums this up really well, if you want me to, to read it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's one of the, the early quotes in the book. Um, he says, Stories don't interest me. Basically, I'm more interested in behavior. I don't direct. I watch. I have to be thrilled if I expect the audience to be thrilled. Because what I really want to see from an actor is something I've never seen before, so I can't tell them what that is. I try to encourage actors not to take turns, to deal with conversation as conversation. I mean, that's what the job is, I think. It's to make comfort, uh, make a comfort area so an actor can go beyond what he thought he could do. Hmm. So that's, and that, and that really summarizes, I mean, like you see that and that's really evident in Altman's direction, particularly from here on out, you know, is that he he is an observant, you know, filmmaker. He's really a collaborator with his actors. And he wants those contributions and for them to bring something to the table and let actors be actors. And you hear that from people who give testimony about Altman as a director is that, you know, they, people love to work with him because they he, he understands 
actors and what they do is their craft and what their contribution is specifically. You know, I think we tend to look at directors as these kind of like puppet masters pulling the strings and, you know, guiding all of these actors in these specific directions and telling them specifically how to say these specific lines or how to do that. And that's, and that can rob an actor of their own contributing elements, you know, their mm -hmm. own voices within in their roles here, their profession, even, you know, that's what they're supposed to do. Actors are meant to act and understand that, you know, and, and Altman is one of the most identifiable directors, I think, who is, is capable at keying in on, on an actor's capacity to contribute themselves. It's that naturalism that you mentioned earlier is allowing and identifying which actors can uh, participate uh, conversationally and how you could really exude that and then just letting them go. And it's not like improvisational. And, and there's another quote from Altman early in the book where he basically says that he doesn't have a lot of respect for scripts, even his own. Like he, he, <laughs> he uses he uses them as a tool, and you know, like, like he does anything else, and he'll yeah. throw out things that he doesn't think work or take it. And you know, it's a kind of similar thing. You know, you know, and he says he has the same like respect for his own writing as he does others, and that usually pisses off a lot of writers because yeah. they kind of view that stuff as you know sacred. That's their like text. Writers don't like Altman. Actors love Altman. <laughs> I just think of like the like the writer relationship that would maybe you think of like uh maybe shortcut seems like the the most story-ish altman but again it's about human behaviors and essentially how people talk to each other and what that means right but like a script is like it's basically like a like a vague blueprint to altman you know where he'll you know he'll, yeah. he'll follow the the kind of outlines of ideas uh, but he'll let the line, you know, the actors to have, you know, figure out their own lines and stuff. And it's never like improvisational, like they're in front of the camera just doing like whatever lines come to them and they other people are playing off of them. You know, he, he would have like encourage the actors to approach him with an idea or how they should say something. And then they would incorporate that. They would rehearse it and do it that specific way. So it's not like just off the cuff, but it's all, you know, like like a teamwork you know project effectively everyone coming in and contributing their own ideas and he would take them or not take them depending on what he thought's best and that's where a lot of that totally unique vision and identity of, of altman's films come from and, and why you see that consistency across works where he is allowed to just make these things again why they don't exist in the previous two films <laughs> sure so much more rigid despite altman writing the the script of the delinquents you know uh, he, he was just starting, you know, the, again, it's like 10 years between that, <laughs> like, yeah, obviously the first film isn't going to be, you know, Altman born in, you know, in the flesh right out the gate. That doesn't really happen too much. Yeah. And it's uh, kind of a thing where it's, uh, we don't need to expect that um, because he's developing a, a style that's not really existing in other filmographies. And um, it's okay to have a slow start when you're yeah. doing something totally new. It really is unique. And, and in some ways, Altman came around at just the right time just the yeah, right time to be that sure. that kind of innovative filmmaker because right here 1969 1970 the studio system has collapsed you know and and the the, the moguls have opened up the doors to the, the new generation you know these new innovative filmmakers to say you guys get what what you know the culture is about please make something anything to, to yeah. kind of connect and altman was definitely you know he, he was a child of the 60s for sure uh that that was his whole demeanor you know this very very kind of anti-establishment mm -hmm. you know very very free-spirited you know uh maverick kind of person and 
and you see that especially come through when when social commentary starts seeping its way in, which I would say is definitely the case with uh, his his true true breakout film. Um, are you leading to the next movie, or are you yeah, saying yeah, yeah. something later? Okay. No, no, yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Be, let's go into Mash. his next. Uh, Mash. 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 Uh, which suicide is painless. <laughs> So, uh, mash is obviously two two mashes to talk about here. There's there's the mash of Altman and and the, mashed potatoes. Yes, and then the third one, the TV series, um, which we'll draw some comparisons to in a second, I think. But ultimately, sure. you need, need to talk about the movie as as an entity. So it's about like uh, field medics and how they kind of uh, fuck around on their camp and how they're. Um, still not uh quite following order but uh how people are recruited in the army and then uh, they're still kind of uh fuck offs anyway it's a satire it's a satirical comedy about uh war specifically the korean war but more so about the vietnam war in its subtext it's you know it's a film about it's, it's a covert vietnam film using the korean war as, as a kind of aesthetic yeah, it's like a proxy, because you couldn't yeah yeah, because you can't really talk about Vietnam when that's still in the midst of happening in 1970. Not yet. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so they use the Korean War as a kind of, you know, tangential version of that. You know, it 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 has similar themes, let's say, <laughs> as a war. So, Mash uh, is is effective in utilizing dark comedy as a kind of jabbing undercurrent to. Um, get at the, the the kind of inherent evils and pointlessness of imperialism and war in particular. And it was such a huge success at the time. And for so long, it really was like a generational defining movie, maybe like the first new Hollywood breakout of the 70s, like, like, maybe you could point to the graduate as an earlier one but you know it's like like the 60s where things are starting to change i would say but but mash was so huge in its time but i don't know that it's remained that way as other films from the era have. <laughs> i don't think it's held up or uh, i don't think new generations are finding mash out of all the altman and being holding that up as a as something that really speaks to contemporary viewpoints of war and satire i i think it's messaging comes through still i think it's still effective in its satire but i think in its execution it's still not wholly there for me but this is definitely i'm i see this as like a you know a generational thing and then how it's changing because you know people still who you know uh you know were uh you know had that fondness for it in the 80s still i know pauline kale i think was a big champion of this film oh you know. yeah and uh -huh. I, I know Ebert was a, also a champion of it and thought it was yeah. very effective satire. It's, it's only recently you're, you're not seeing the same level because this at some points has been considered Altman's opus is his best achievement. Weird, yeah, and, <laughs> yeah, and it's and and I think we we me and you, Calvin, are definitely not that mind. I said I said to you, this is the last picture show of this podcast. This is the <laughs> controversial. <laughs> this is the controversial stance for us here in that. We think Mash is not as good as his reputation purports it to be. No, and I mean, uh, I think he has more to work with and more to chew off here. I mean, we've got Donald Sutherland and Elliot Gold and uh, a returning Robert Duvall, um, uh, Tom Skerritt. There's a lot of a lot of good names that could work with yeah. Altman's formula and do work. I think, I think like individually in a vacuum, the parts of Mash work and mean something. 
Uh, I, I said to my, my when we were watching that, uh, the, you know, Donald Sutherland's really great, but it's, a sh but it's a shame that Alan Alda is someone who also exists. <laughs> That's funny, yeah. I, okay. I've, I've, I've seen this film twice. I've seen it before seeing the television show MASH, and I've seen it after seeing the television show MASH. And I feel the same about it either way. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, um, so, so it's not that. It's not that I have a fondness for the television show over this you know uh i, I, I oh no i do but okay. that wasn't what informed it because i had the same feeling having seen the movie without having seen the show at all where i was like this is really like disconnected and you know it's kind of just like a, a series of you know uh vignettes and sequences around here some of it's really effective i i find the the the, the kind of realistic portrayal of the surgery rooms with all the blood and everything and the tension in those, I think that's effective in adding to its commentary. Mm -hmm. um, but it's it kind of jumble for a direction, and you can make an argument for for it how how it's shining a light on the kind of uh, you know toxic uh, masculinity that, that is perpetuated by you know army dynamic, particularly when it comes to the the, the depiction of Hulahan's character. Sure. Uh, uh, the the most noteworthy scene being when they like pull the tent down around her in the shower and she's, you know, exposed, naked. Um, but it just feels like it's indulging in it uh, when, when you're watching, I feel like. like I, I When you watch that scene, I don't, I don't feel like you get the sympathy for her character. You kind of have to view yeah. it from an objective standpoint because so much more of the film is in indulging in these antics done by Hawkeye and uh, Trevor. Like putting the, the mic under the bed and... Yeah, I mean, the, like the like these pranks aren't very sophisticated, or uh... right. Well, and and there's a moment where like Coolahan like breaks down, and and you see that desperation, and it's really sad. But I, I mean, it, yeah, it, it feels like the film itself is distanced from that. It doesn't feel like we're meant to see these characters as you know the these you know oppressive and mean spirited people, uh, even though that that the film wants to have that both ways. I think, and it and it just. It doesn't quite, and but but I think more so the film is just the, the bigger issue with the film is that it just it lacks structure. It lacks a, a kind of cohesive thing tying everything together. It builds up to this big, you know, climax with a football game that I do like the football game. I, you don't like the football game? No. First of all, because it just takes me out. Because it's okay. Like like, where did you guys get these? like professional grade football pole and the paint to like, aren't you in Korea? Which by the way, you know, Southern California doesn't really look like Korea to begin with, but that's a, that's the same yeah, problem sure. with like anything, but it's, it's believable enough. But then, then once you're like, they're just shooting on an actual football field. So yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm immediately okay. taken out by, by that because otherwise the, the sets are really good. Um, You know, and you know, this is kind of, Tangible. No, what's of army tents and yeah, yeah yeah and and the environments there uh but yeah the characters aren't as compelling as i would i was uh, i would want them to be otherwise i think the most i connected with in terms of like liking was i liked robert duvall's characterization as as frank burns as this kind of very hard line you know army uh army officer who's not here for any of the antics or anything very very like there's a there's a religious bent to his character too is very strict and, and it's kind of interesting commentary exposing him as a as a contributor to the the ills of the army infrastructure but yeah i i i think the film is sometimes too indulgent in 
you know the antics of of Hawkeye and, and Trapper in terms of like making light of it and it you know uh kind of too cynical in in that sense and that there there's or not even cynical nihilistic I would say <laughs> about the prospects of war whereas and 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 I find it ironic then that Altman so vehemently hated the television show because uh, I, I think the television show does do a better job in its characterizations of, of Trapper and uh, uh, Hawkeye in terms of right. making them actually care about that and being cynical instead of nihilistic about the war. The television show is such a given and, and so pre-established by the time I was watching, of course, is already kind of a throwback to 70s, 80s. Uh, I mean, it was, it it was made, it was made yeah. in the 70s. It was made so, immediately after... That's Mash what I didn't out. know the first time I watched it. I thought that the the show was the precursor, and this was a popular adaptation of a TV show. Uh, that's what I always is, assumed until I got. Is there to any? It. Is there any examples of that? I can't think. Like no, where, but I where, think, where, like, where a TV show was. Oh, I guess like when they make a movie, like like you've got your Downton Abbey movies now. Sure. Like, yeah. I mean, now it happens quite a bit, but back then, I, I doubt. I doubt there were too many examples. It was just that my. Uh, pre-established relationship with MASH was as a TV show that was ever-present, and right. I had never heard of the movie till I was an adult. Um, and I know the theme song from the TV show. I didn't know that Suicide is Painless was like the, the theme of the... Uh, composed by Altman's brother, right? Um, it was... It was The lyrics are written by Altman's son. Son, okay. Yeah. They, they And the whole point, according to the book I read, is that they just wanted... The stupidest sounding song that oh, you could get. I, I like it. I think it's I, I know. the cool thing about the movie. Uh, I know, but that's that's the story, is that they wanted it to be the dumbest thing. They wanted it to be totally stupid. That's why lyrically. I like it, maybe. Uh, well, yeah, I think there's an it, irony. Have you played the that, game Cannon Fodder? Uh, early 90s PC game? Maybe not. <laughs> no, probably but, uh, not. Maybe that's way before your time, but it had like it's, this. I mean, uh, it was less that than, you know, I, I didn't have access to the computer to play games. Like, I was this, not a computer game, but. Maybe like a Eurocentric game where it's just like a, a war is so much fun is kind of the theme song. And it's just like this most stupid song about just how war is such a blast and, oh, they're having so much fun. Then they're going to the graves and they're viewing all the corpses and stuff. It's like, it just keeps going until it gets like kind of dark and it's darkly satirical and cannon fodder is kind of that thing where you're just like sacrificing you know large units of troops and they keep getting shut down then you see their graves visualized you're like holy shit i didn't know a video game could do this yet yeah so the song was written around the scene where the character of painless is, is looking to commit suicide that's where like the the idea of the theme song comes from and what almond son kind of wrote it off in like an afternoon and then they had a, another person compose the music for it and because it became the theme song for the show as well, and the show went into syndication, the, the you know the kind of funny story to tell is that Altman's son just made like ten times as much money as Altman <laughs> did to direct the movie just from this little song he wrote off in like ten minutes. And I think the funnier thing about it is that the theme song for the show doesn't even have the lyrics. No, I always thought it was like jaunty and like warmly nostalgic to me. So when I heard those lyrics, I thought it was hilarious. Yeah, and and I think it's really nice. I think it's a nicely composed song. I like the, I think the lyrics. The lyrics, the lyrics yeah, are weird. Yeah, the lyrics I think are good and they're fitting for. They're, again, there's this there's this irony to to them that yeah. helps to you know kind of amplify that a aspects of the film. But I I just find it hilarious that the lyrics aren't part of the show, <laughs> and and yet because of how royalties work, uh, you, you know, Elton son was yeah. still being paid like, and he got like I don't know like two million or something in, in like. <laughs> 
But the show ran for over like ten years, right? Like it's the show, still, was... it's still playing. It's still in syndication, you know. Right, it but it, like it, they stopped making new episodes after the eighties. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. after okay. the eighties. And uh, there was a there was a lot of that on TV when I was a kid. A lot of shows like this and like uh, Quinn Medicine Woman, just a lot of like frontline uh, medical team ER, like a, a lot of hospital shows which aren't yeah. as in vogue. Uh, mid 90s was like a big explosion of that stuff too coming back and the 2000s like, too yeah, yeah 70s to 2000s we were dealing with a lot of medical uh and like a more military shows we it's, don't really have shows good, like this it's a good set medical situation a good settings for dramas obviously but yeah. uh it's also a surprisingly good you know place for for comedy as well again and and the show is does such a thing a, a better job i think of balancing that cutting satirical comedy with the you know the, the serious subject matter and the anti-war messaging like uh any any derisions towards the show the, the sense that it kind of like glorifies or or makes light of you know war as a, as a setting or a subject i think are unfounded if you watch you know if you actually watch the show and, and the different subjects they tackle throughout and the seriousness with which they deal with many horrifying scenarios and again in, in a non-mean-spirited way that i think the movie does unfortunately have i think the movie is a lot more mean-spirited than the show ever is in its you know commentary uh and, and, but those are complaints i had even prior to seeing the show and having those comparisons sure you know, uh yeah i just don't think it's it's held up as a as a solid artifact of of that era of filmmaking i think it's uh, a, a great example still of Altman's growing craft as a filmmaker and the interesting ways in which he, he directed and composed things and the way he handled, handled actors. Uh, but I think as a, as a cohesive film, it's, it's muddled at best, you know, it doesn't have a kind of like central thesis to really get it from beginning to end. Yeah. I have a hard time caring as the movie plays out. Um, I was interested. Yeah, Cause in it's so, halfway. it's so disconnected. You know, yeah. and and again, like like Altman doesn't care about story so much. He he thinks that <laughs> he thinks that, that that's a naughty word. <laughs> he doesn't like narratives. But this might be one where it needs a more of a narrative. And his it, strongest it more. His strongest films have at least like a, a, a kind of core for everything to gravitate around, and that's you know that gets you from from beginning to end. And the core of uh, Mash is that it's the Korean War. It doesn't have. <laughs> it, it, it doesn't have a, a beginning, middle, or end. You're just in the midst of it. And so it's more, again, it's like a kind of series of vignettes surrounding sure. this, this central theme and idea. Yeah. Um, so uh, Mobile Army Surgical Hospital, right? That's, a... that's, that's another thing. How do you spell MASH? Like, what's the right way to write out the title of this film? Is it just all caps? Do you have I... the asterisks in there? I've seen it with with periods too in between, yeah. like like an acronym. I've seen it many different ways. It's 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 not the worst film title I've ever seen. What about the poster? How do you feel about the the poster's weird? The um just the uh, peace sign with the, the helmet with the legs and the legs. I I think it works again. Like this this I don't kind like of this. No, oh, no, it's very it's very evocative of the time period. Again, this okay. kind of like you got this anti-war symbol with the peace sign combined with the the sexual imagery. You know of the the liberation movement the 60s sure. yeah i think i think it's uh effective i guess not, just like the hands my attached poster. to like the women's legs just looked i don't know it looks like a turkey or something <laughs> i'm not a fan 
of that poster's aesthetic, at least. I think it means something, but yeah, visually, I, mean, yeah, I don't so, like it. <laughs> some of my favorite posts, but, you know, it. I, maybe at that point you might be looking for more things to, to dislike about the movie. But Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know how to write it. I just write it in all caps. I don't fuck around with stylizing things. I just, I, I usually just strip whatever the stylization is and just write the thing. Um. Yeah, always odd titles and such. But, you know, MASH is an important film still. Uh, I don't think it's one you can leave out of the filmography yeah. because, of its, and... uh, because of its historical impact. And again, I don't think it's like a, a misfire necessarily. I just think it's not as successful as, as its you know, aggrandized reputation has led it to believe now. Again, it, it was huge at the time it was huge for a few generations after it was nominated for best picture i think it, it really <laughs> honestly it, it did catapult Baldwin. i mean like what, what else yeah. was nominated that year again like you, you gotta and, and think about it in in terms of the context of other films that were coming out of hollywood at that time you know uh like this is this is the beginning of that era you know we're still two years separated from the godfather what was coming out in uh 70 um yeah so so this was the the same year as Patton, you know just for for an example of the kind of movies that were being a Patton one best picture that year oh it was uh, uh the same year as uh claire's knee uh which is uh significantly better than any movie you're about to name <laughs> yeah yeah uh love story five easy pieces and airport airport was not <laughs> don't you think claire's knee is just Romare is significantly more interesting than any of these. Movies. I mean, I mean, obviously, yeah. Right. But you know, if we're talking uh, about the Hollywood institution, <laughs> like how it was evolving at this time period, this was a transitional period for for Hollywood. Again, well, there's, like I guess there's also Donkey Skin. I wonder why that didn't make the cut. Um, or uh, Valerie in the her Week of Wonders. I wonder why they wouldn't go for uh, multiple maniacs. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> And, and uh, yeah, interesting collection. Uh, everyone else was making interesting things while Hollywood was kind of bumbling around trying to figure out what to what to do next. Oh, there was the Catch Twenty Two movie from Mike Nichols. That seems like a good contemporary for. Oh like, yeah, see, look, look at that. Was. Look, there's there's all and same thing with like Patton. Like these were these yeah. were all the rage at that time. Yeah, it was a, it was a forum that Hollywood was in. Uh, thankfully, yeah. uh, uh, after that weird of a title as Mash, uh, uh, he would never make another movie with a weird title again uh, like uh Brewster McCloud <laughs> a movie that I, I can never remember the name of I don't I don't know why you struggle to it's not that weird of a title it's like it's a name there's lots of movies name Brewster Birdman Cla Virtue is, is, of Ignorance is Claire's Knee not a weirder movie the title no it's that's a fitting name. I mean it's about her knee it's... I think I think Bruce, I mean Bruce McCloud there's, there's lots of movies that are named after people he just you know he's a a kid who's obsessed with flying, I get. <laughs> yeah. So, so Brewster McCloud is <laughs> interesting. Interesting. Uh, Do you say he has a vision yet? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let's see. So, so Mash was so successful that MGM just threw money at Robert Altman and mm -hmm. said, "Make whatever you want." And so Altman found the story, the script, <laughs> threw it out completely. <laughs> and then just made this thing this, this is the most evident example of what you're saying about he doesn't care about a story ethic yeah yeah uh Bruce McCloud is so many things let's see it's it's a it's a 
quasi, you know, it, it, consideration of man's relationship to bird. It's <laughs> it's uh what a place it's, to start. <laughs> it's it's like a serial killer story. Uh-huh. Uh there's like a, a you know a, a, like a police investigation going on. There's like a, a romantic angle to it as well here. It's it's a lot of things. I really wish I loved this movie. Um, I, I kind I of do. You do. But also, I, I do, but I don't. You know. Yeah, same. Uh, <laughs> there's so it's, much that I do like about it that I wish I was like heralding it as like a movie people need to see or something. It's very funny and charming and creatively interesting and Risky. also to- yeah. totally incoherent like <laughs> is this who is this movie for other than like people who like robert altman because it's it's very specifically for us i think i think it's something that we'd be drawn to in I, our I, celebrations I, of filmographies but uh, i mean i don't even know if altman considers it like <laughs> a success honestly we like uh, more I, than he yeah I, I think any everyone who is involved basically is just like, oh yeah, we have no idea what it's about. <laughs> I I don't know if anyone who's seen the movie knows what it's about. It's it, it's 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 pretty purposeless, but not directionless, and that's like that's the important yeah. thing I think is that it's Holy got directed. It's it's got a complete i vision about it, <laughs> but only Altman knows what that vision is. Uh, yeah, I don't know if Altman knows. I think it's fair yeah. if Altman doesn't know. I know some directors say they don't know the vision of their films, and I always think that's a fair thing to say because and, and I write things. Under- I don't know what I'm writing sometimes. I just write something and it's done. From my understanding, uh, from from listening to the book as well, and from people's testimonies, this was really off the cuff filmmaking. <laughs> like really, they were just it. making it up as they were going along, just doing whatever. Like there's like a. a, a there's a whole like car chase scene like like halfway through, and I'm pretty sure they just decided to do that like one day and add sure. it to the movie. Yeah, and you know there's there's something admirable in the kind of pure chaos kind of approach to filmmaking there, just this yeah. total nonsensical thing. Um, there's there's so much admirable. I, again, and this is where you really start to see, you know, they again like between this and Mash, where this this Altman sense for uh, lar- large cast ensembles really is coming to fruition here you're getting more of the repeat players you got you know bud court coming back in this is the first film shelly duvall ever made she's a you know pivotal uh altman collaborator uh i i really like renee bourgeois as as the, the the like the avian teacher who like opens the film he's got those segments throughout and he's like yeah. sweating a lot and talking about birds and then he like starts imitating <laughs> birds at some point oh man uh yeah I think that's just a, a good start to the movie, isn't it? And uh, I like any time that he shows up in there. Yeah, I think it's... Uh, I, I just wish that, like, I, I was more taken with it than I am. Like, because I, I eventually just kind of lose the thread at some point watching it. Um, But it's it's such an easy film to love, I think. If you if you find that similar wavelength... um. I don't know how much you, you get out of it, but watching it, it's definitely like it. The movie sweeps you up, I think, and it's got so much personality and humor to it, and 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 this you know distinct character, and it really does feel like this entire universe inside of itself with all of these you know people doing you know all these things. And again, you got that those those naturalistic elements. I like the the different like aspects with like the uh, Shelley Duvall. I think is just so wonderful. Very strange uh, uh, 
eyeliner or or her eyelids or what would you say that lashes eyelashes her eyelashes are always interesting (laughs) they're kind of scary to me and she played yeah she plays like a like a a a tour uh person what what do you call it like a person who gives tours yeah uh, (laughs) there's a word for it tour tour guide yeah yeah tour guide at the the astrodome the houston astrodome uh which isn't a thing anymore right like so so the movie's kind of significant and that it's like oh here's an archive of the, the astrodomes the the baseball sure. field uh so that's yeah, like a, like a cool thing <laughs> I, it's, I, i've it's, always it's such a hard to make of it it's a hard film to talk about okay because it's so like seemingly you know chaotic and and, and odds with things it, again if, th- if there was no structure to uh, Mash, there's like kind of even less to Brewster, but somehow that's more of a strength than it is a detriment in in Mash. Again, it it, it works here more so. Yeah, uh, as as this kind of grabble again, it's got like all these things. It it would maybe be better if it had more of a kind of linearity to it or more, more clarity, but that might also take away what makes it so special. So I don't know. Um, I, I may have to see it more to get like more out of it, but uh, as, as is, I'm happy that it exists and it's so unique, you know, and you know, identifiable to Altman. But I also don't know what to make of it entirely. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's such an interesting like tapestry of ideas and things coming together and melding of uh, things Altman can do. Uh, certainly his most vision build of our our set today but uh, uh so much vision that it's a uh, nearly incoherent yeah it's again it's another film where you walk away and like what was the point of that what what did, what did i get away from that and other yeah, than even that, less than the cold day in the park you have no idea what to do with this one i think th- thematically yeah but i i also feel like it, it pulls you in so much with its with its characters and its comedy i have and no idea yeah, and, and it's just sheer bizarreness you know it's it's sheer not you know nonsense to to so much of what's going on it it does really feel like this kind of transportive experience to this very specifically altman idea of of reality of human interaction and it feels it's got that insanely naturalistic bent to it more than any of the others i think so far like of all of these this is like the most altman film (laughs) maybe of all of altman's films if we're being honest but that doesn't that i have another idea but maybe yeah right i i don't know that that's always to its strength (laughs) its uniqueness is what makes it kind of great but it's also what makes it like indecipherable yeah, I'd agree. Um, I, yeah, I, I went away from it thinking like, is this movie unique? But I think it's unique in ways that are hard to parse out and that don't always work to its benefit. So. I, I would be interested to talk with someone on this movie, like our, our, our friend Matt, who yeah, I wonder what Matt really thinks of it. it yeah, who, who could shine a light on what makes it particularly special. Although I've seen some movies that Matt loves and, you know, I, mean, like, <laughs> I don't have ideas about those. And I think I understand them. Mm-hmm. But this is one that I feel like could use some perspective from someone who is enamored with it. Yeah. You know, I, I because it's, it's, it's one of those cases where you and I being on the same wavelength, 
might do a disservice to further discussion on it. <laughs> this episode, we've uh, pretty clearly lined up, I think. I don't think we've had any divergence yet. No, no, so. I think, uh, but I guess we can, well, we'll find out once we get to ranking them. How about we, how about we, we do get that? Into that? Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so delinquents in uh, first place. Um, easy, easy choice. First place for delinquents. Okay. Yeah. Uh, public service announcement. It won't be there long. So. <laughs> uh, All right. N next is countdown. Oh no! Uh, this is a hard one already. I don't. I mean, I have the same <laughs> score for both. Uh, I'm. I'm. I'm much more forgiving to delinquents. Uh, okay. I think. I think it's better directed. Yeah. Uh, and and, uh, and just less boring. And also, well, like. It just was over faster. And <laughs> well, I don't know if Countdown has any pedophiles for main characters. So. You know, some, sometimes it's more interesting. People like American Beauty, right? Do people still like that, or no? No, okay. No one's they still like American Sam Mendes, though. So maybe um... is Sam Mendes a pedophile? Is he, is no, just... no. Just okay, a okay. Director just... of American Beauty. <laughs> right. Okay. I just had to make sure. You know. <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. <laughs> Um, I was like, that's quite the accusation. The Kevin Spacey, though. Yeah, yeah. A little Kevin bit Spacey. of a, yeah, a big bit of a pedophile. Uh, big, big, quite a bit, yep. Quite a big. He's making movies again, isn't he? Uh, he's making one movie. I hope that's it. Um, yeah. I hope it's not movies, like, plural, like, he's really invested in the forum and still, like, he was like doing Kevin... Christmas messages for the yeah. last, like, four <laughs> years. Every Christmas, Ooh. he'd send out, like, a very lonely, awkward telegram on the internet still like like his character from house of cards it was very yeah. very ominous i wonder if i wonder how many people remember that i, I mean it, it... <laughs> anyway yeah, uh, uh so can, can we put countdown below delinquents yeah uh, uh delinquents delinquents i'm like this shows promise uh i felt like countdown was like a oh this guy can't you know, can't make a movie. You yeah, know, I think only because, it. like you say, the Altman is stripped out of it. I think it would be just a head, a horse's head ahead of a, a delinquents if it were more Altman-esque, I think. Even though I like the actors better, the direction's worse. So. I think the direction is definitely worse. Like, and we're ranking the... Altman, right? We're not ranking yeah. like the, yeah. like, oh, this is a, you know, this is more of a movie than delinquents is. But, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, is it though? <laughs> yeah, I don't this know. one's there... propaganda. That one's PSA. Neither matter. I guess. I mean, I found I found Countdown more boring. Was ultimately the thing. Like, I I was at least mildly invested in what was happening in Delinquents, and I was completely. Sure. completely I don't know out. what happened, but I think I. Agreed. Oh, exactly. And I, yeah. I I forgot it instantly, but I was forgetting, you know, Countdown as it was happening. Like I, I was just begging to get away from it. <laughs> I'm guessing we got to the moon, but I, I don't remember. So uh yeah. Mash is next, right? Yeah. No, I skipped. I skipped Cold Day no. of the Park. My bad. Cold Day of the Park. The most important one. Uh yeah, first place. Uh pretty easily. Ob obviously better than these other two. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Just far and away. Much more style, more assured Altman. I greatly enjoyed it. I love if, if you're gonna if you're gonna do an Altman watch, start there. I don't think even so, watch. yeah. <laughs> that that I, would be I a don't... great start if we well, yeah. If that were it, the debut film. Yeah, look for anyone out there who's actually like interested in watching all of the Altman films. I know I can't convince you not to watch the Delinquents and Countdown because that completionist sake in you is going to make you chase after it like it did for us. But I'm going to advise you to not anyway because it's not really worth it. <laughs> Aren't those too short? At least they're, neither are yeah, very long. Um, not, neither hit the two hour mark. I think Countdown's like an hour forty or something. That's too long for what it is. But uh... yeah, and, and Delinquents is only like an hour ten 
or something. So that's yeah. why again, that, that's why it gets like a plus for me. I'm like, oh, that was over really quick. I just squeeze that that's in. That's fair. So uh, cold day in the park, then delinquents, then countdown makes sense to me so far. Okay, mash. I think that I think these slide in pretty easy. Our first episodes, so I think mash after cold day in the park. We're both pretty divided, and it is our last picture show, so we have yeah. to. I, I I definitely agree. Um, I, I I think I find more in mash than you do ultimately well, but i don't know i like the tv show too so maybe we right. maybe we share a lot of the same feelings about that do we actually. do we credit do we credit the movie with with giving us the tv show i is, think so uh, in a way right okay well, well then i guess mash is the best open movie after all <laughs> you're very fond of the tv show then um, uh oh, i need i need to watch more of it i'm not okay. done yet but how far yeah. in uh, I think like three seasons. I don't know. I gotta check. It's probably I've like been twelve on, or fifteen or something. For, I've been on high that era, so I'm not. I'm not actually that far, but I'm. I'm. I'm enough. I. I, I like okay. the show. You see, anyway, Yeah, but no, no, I agree. It's it's not as good as Cold Day in the Park. Uh, and it's it's probably gonna remain pretty low for us throughout. So if for those yeah, match heads so. out there, you you may not like what's coming. <laughs> Especially after like next week, I think everything on this list just slides right down uh, pretty easy. So yeah, it's 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 quite the uptick that Altman has <laughs> in his career in the seventies. Uh, Those seventies Altman films are famous for a reason. Yeah, we spoiled the McCabe of it all, but I think we leave the rest for our, for our future rankings. But uh, we'll I think see. the yeah, this will it will really fuck up the list next week. So I guess we're at the place knowing that that's about to happen and that will be the permanent result of uh, you know Mash is. Always going to be way down here, I think. Uh, sorry, sorry, boomers. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so, I, I just don't want to watch MASH again. I Yeah, I've watched it twice. That's probably enough for both of us. We've both seen it twice, and I think we're okay. I'll, I'll probably watch it another 10 years, just to confirm. Yeah. After I, you finish the TV show, why not? Yeah. Sure. <laughs> I don't know if you're going to do that. Um, we'll see. Uh, but last uh, last to rank here today is uh, Bruce and McLeod. Okay, um, which is harder? Maybe the I guess it's our first hard decision. Is it? Is it hard for you? Maybe. Um, okay. I I I like it more than a cold day in the park because okay. of the, the personality yeah, of it and I can everything. See but it. but I I mean they're they're on an almost equal level for me. Like so, if you really wanted to advocate for one over the other, then I could easily. Um, over. <laughs> uh, again this isn't an exciting podcast because i'm in the same position but only about cold day in the park where i could advocate but i think they're very equal in uh in there i think uh you know uh, brewster the Birdman of uh ignorance and the virtue of uh uh mcleod i think is a, a good movie but uh cold day in the park is nice i, I like vancouver as a setting I, I think cold day is like more of a coherent movie obviously but i find brewster more kind of fascinating movie you know it's so it's so odd and so interesting and so full of personality and, and, and humor and i kind of want to like study it I, 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 <laughs> I, and i certainly want it like in my mind it's better than like actually watching it because like i said it, it doesn't like grip me as yeah, much as i want same. it like uh, watching it as much as like uh cold day in the park it's not like a thriller in the way that i was like excited but i was a, uh, I was very invested in these characters relationship to each other but but there's really nothing like Brewster either. It's so bizarre and unique, and the, and the fact that it kind of like exists, you know, I, I I love that it exists. It's just this totally like weird, you know, re realization that's you know kind of makes no sense. It was just you know 
you know, the result of a bunch of people messing around in the, the, the Astrodome for like two months or something. <laughs> if I put it up there, though, am I putting it for what I want it to be and how I want to love it or how much I actually what, enjoy? What, what if I what if I make this proposition to you, since I know you're all about deals and such? OK, we leave it here as a tide tied first place for the can't ones. do it. You can't. You can't. <laughs> no, I no. need a definitive result. Well, we we can come back. I'm saying, that it, but but we come back and we can use it as a bartering tool for something later. No, I, I'd rather make ah. it definitive. Every episode needs to end in decision. Okay. I think. Okay. Uh, fine. I'm I, I'm gonna find them. I'll cave, and you can have a cold day in the park. And okay. I'll, and, I'll uh, use that. I'll use that as an argument later for getting something higher. I guess. And I'll cave, and you can have Bruce McLeod, and uh, so that's the end of the episode. Um. <laughs> I feel like we're pretty even enough that it doesn't really matter. Uh, should we just throw Brewster up? I don't care anymore. Uh, I mean, I don't either. <laughs> is Brewster, which one? Okay, we're ranking the Robert Altman of it all, not like which one is like Calvin's most identifiable Northwest movie. Um, the, prob the, the problem is, is uh, I feel like, is that I want to give that cold day an edge because it's like, this is the birth of Altman, but... right. At the yeah. same time, Bruce McCloud is like the most Altman. It's like very, very Altman. And I know. nobody else could make that kind of movie. Well, that's why I'm pausing even after you gave me the, the win there, is that I, I have reservations that Cold Day in the Park is the most Altman movie. It's just the first one that I actually count. It's uh, like the it's a huge leap from Countdown to uh, you know, that Cold Day in the Park. Just a total reversal of of personality and and direction there i mean however uh, we do this i do think these are effectively a tie i don't think we break them up for a while um i think they're kind of stuck in the ranking together for a while i'm, I'm kind of curious i know yeah yeah i don't i don't really see anything about, I, I maybe one movie depending on how you like it that can kind of rest within these ones but okay but yeah uh, these are pretty stuck together and formative for a certain part of the list i think i think i think so there'll, there'll be a kind of barometer they're both on the, the positive end and i think we grade mash slightly below them because we liked it less but also it has significance <laughs> i'd expect mash to be a middle if i didn't think everything else would be really exciting so that's um, that's the thing there's so much yeah. good stuff to look forward to i don't even remember where like mash is very close to the lower end of my list i, I right. can't remember if I was, i've seen more Altman, I think you have. I've seen eighteen so far. Okay. Yeah, I mean, Mash is isn't even like bottom three or whatever. We'll I see mean, how it now, plays but, out. Well, I mean, there's, there's at least two worse movies already than Mash. We could say. Yeah, but. yeah. Um, so I don't think it matters too much. Let's give it to Cold Day in the Park and then Brewster McCloud, and they'll pretty much stay together. So that's we can fine. we can change it later, I guess. Again, yeah. in, in my in my mind, they're <laughs> they're in the same place. But yeah, I agree. that Cold Day that Cold Day for now. So. Oh, that one was a surprise too. Um, I had never really heard of Cold Day in the Park, and I was really caught off guard with how much I was endeared to it. So, that's part was, of our function is uh, yeah. we get to shout those from the rooftop. Discover, yeah, that's that's true. And I feel like if you know Altman, you at least you're aware of Brewster McCloud. Yeah. You know, it, it's kind it's of like famously this, Altman. Yeah, it's is this is this kind of oddity that comes right after Mash. And again, there, there's some champions out there for it. Uh, sure. I, I mean, I've never heard anyone talk about that Cold Day in the Park, so. Yeah. <laughs> now we have. Um, now we've talked about it, and we're the people that people here talking about it. So, um, so, so yeah, let's hear the let's hear our ranking as of this week. All right. So we have uh, Cold Day in the Park. Then we have Rooster McCloud, Mash, and then Delinquent. Then Countdown. I think that's correct. I haven't written anything down. Yep that that sounds 100 percent correct to me. Uh, okay. 
it's it's close <laughs> enough anyway. Yeah, some some of those are closer to them, than, you know, than one another's than others. <laughs> yeah, um, and I think that establishes something interesting for next week when all these slide down the list. Uh, yeah, they'll yeah, they'll be placed time. well as it develops. I think. Yeah, so we are very much looking forward to the next set, which is going to be, I don't know, like maybe the strongest run of movies that we'll see in the setup or maybe maybe in like else. our whole project that might be one of the strongest runs we get um yeah this is quite the quite the selection of movies there uh you most... want to name the ones we're doing yeah yeah if you don't remember so the next five movies and so the listeners can watch along if they like are mccabe and mrs miller images the long goodbye california split and thieves like us so just four next week that's five Oh, sorry. Uh, yeah, five on there. Okay. Um, yeah. Well, we have our work ahead of us, and uh, we uh, recorded this a little bit in advance, so uh, we'll have time to reflect on those. Yeah. So uh, I guess it's a plug ahoy time, right? Yeah, plug ahoy. Uh, I was on the Daydream cast. I gave a very impassioned uh, a defense of the Legacy of Kane franchise. Uh, Murph played the whole game. Uh, I've played the whole franchise at some point in my life, so I, I gave a lot of detailed. Uh, depth and analysis to like my approach on game journalism. Ew, <laughs> what a weird thing to say. Uh, fuck gamergate. Uh, <laughs> video game enthusiast writing. Let's say uh, not games journalism. Uh, uh, yeah, I give a, a lot of detail on like E3 and uh, my thoughts on the new generation of consoles and uh, some of the developers. Uh, I'm very proud of that episode. Just me and Murph on that one. Uh, just Murph and I. Uh, wonderful to look forward to is that one that one will be up by the time this is up okay um, okay cool cool and uh, you were just on uh the author note from the stats I, I was notes from the authors uh yeah. Stephen was so gracious to reach out to me to talk about my 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 writing and i very humbly <laughs> humbly accepted before you know being very vain on the show and and just soaking in all of his compliments <laughs> i enjoyed that every five minutes you stopped to just say that it, it felt really good and you wanted uh, the continued compliments and also i realized that um our styles are distinctly opposite in pretty much every way like all the things <laughs> you say i'm like that's uh that's the opposite of what i do yeah that's no, why I... I realized because you're one of my favorite writers because i think oh, that we're you. because i think we're opposite in those ways where i'm like I can't do that. And like you said about like my approach to brevity, brevity, I'm like, I can't write that long form, like a technical analysis. I just, I wouldn't, it's like Steven says, it's not the way I think it's not the way I would process that information. So uh, you know, you're I, one of my favorite people to read because you, you go into stuff. I wouldn't or can't. Well, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Uh, I, I think it's just cause I got too many thoughts in my head and I need to, <laughs> to put them all out. I, I wish I could do it more succinctly sometimes, but it's also a strength. You know, Steven said the same thing is that like, yeah. That's like the opposite of what he wants from me. So I guess I'll keep doing it. Uh, but yeah, it was, it was really wonderful to go on. I, f I feel like it's interesting as well. Uh, I've, I've loved the two he's done prior to me here with Ben and uh, Zebra. Vaughn on there? Yeah. yeah and Zebra, yeah. yeah. And so it's really nice to get and, and to see that. And I, I think especially it was really nice to have me on there because I, I know that I am very much of a different piece than them from, from writing-wise. And, and, sure. And then coming through in, in there, you, you can see how... Uh, I, I think there's some good advice I could take uh, that people can take from, from me, but also maybe don't do some of the things that I do. <laughs> I was, uh, I was, very, I was given a lot of pause when you're like, just stop and think of the thesaurus. I was like, yeah. no, don't do that. I, <laughs> That's because not, when, when not I write, advice for everyone. <laughs> when I write, I think 
if I stop and think about this, then I know the reader will stop and think about me stopping and thinking. Like they'll look at the word and they'll be like, that's a the source word, or they'll have to look it up. I'm so afraid of someone having to leave my writing and think about something. I, I think that's I, what you guys talk about with mine is like, I have to make sure that someone stays in the piece. I can't let them go. Yeah, <laughs> I, I hope people don't think about that when I do it, but I can't help but like sure. just search for the correct word. I know there's a correct word out there and I need to find it and I can't move forward if I don't. And well, that's that's not what you're supposed to do, but it's what I do. <laughs> it's like the Flaubert thing, right? You have to look for the right word and he would spend like, uh, sometimes he'd spend two or three days thinking of the right word for his pieces. And uh, sometimes you just got to have them if you're a writer. Um, I understand that impulse yeah. at least. But, but hey, ho hopefully there's other things in there that people take away. I think that's what's really wonderful about this series that Steven's doing is that, uh, you know, it's it's going to be really helpful for a lot of pers different perspectives for different people looking to improve their writing and i'm glad that i could lend my my voice you know to yeah. it, to to a certain extent and i hope that lots of people get a lot out of it you know it was, it, it was a very fun conversation to do if steve wants to do a part two uh i don't know if that's <laughs> something he's interested in but i'll i'll jump at that of course uh or if he just wants to call me up uh, on his free time and and, and compliment me I'll, I'll take that too um we need you to uh keep writing for the website so we can have a part two um that's uh, the I, challenge <laughs> uh, if that's what it takes i guess i'll have to break out the the notes again i'll i'll work on something maybe <laughs> i'll be on there one day but i uh, i guess your partner's gonna be on is that is that true yeah my, my my wife has been enlisted to talk about her writing which steven is also a big fan of and uh i'm also uh, uh, an even bigger fan of i might say i like the way she talks about movies it's very uh different again from mine and i i really um get a lot out of that and i i see how you guys talk about movies together and i see how that comes through in your pieces both of you so. yeah i wish i wish i could have said more for some reason it just didn't manifest in the conversation that way but i i do sure. owe a lot of uh, of that to uh her to to the conversations we have and a lot of what the perspectives that she gives to me uh really informs a lot of what i ultimately write when i when i write about films um and you guys watch mostly everything together and almost things almost everything together we we watch including uh, there, there's a couple of these Altman films, like those early ones, I didn't subject her to. So I wouldn't. You know. Yeah, no point. Yeah, uh, yeah. But we we watched all the the heavy hitters again. Uh, and looking forward to like uh, she she actually hasn't seen the Long Goodbye yet for next oh, week. Oh, so. interesting. So that'll be fun. Maybe that'll be our our divisive one next week. I don't. I'm excited. I know we have at least divisive think, ideas about it. So. I do. I, I don't know. I don't think it's gonna be that divisive. Uh, what's what's gonna be the divisive one? next week this is this is turned back around to the altman instead of the plugs but i'm gonna look <laughs> i think there's us uh, arguing about if elliot gould was cool or not or if it was cool to be a loser i think uh, will be our argument uh, next week so we'll, we'll see. see well yeah we'll, we'll see uh but otherwise i think maybe maybe images maybe maybe we're different mm. especially <laughs> especially based on the per the, the our, our different approaches to horror i think okay yeah interesting i it'll be an interesting week for sure in every way i think um uh, we also have uh, 808 and Podbreak. There will be a new episode up with Jack and Kevin doing an interview. I just did one with uh, Vaughn. Uh, Vaughn and I did um, clipping. Jack and Kevin will do Jay Dilla. That'll be interesting because I don't know anything about Jay Dilla. Nice. That's, that'll be another one to look forward to. I'm glad you guys have had, uh, a new direction for the show as well. Seems like that's working for you. Yeah, and we've kind of like cribbed off what the stacks are doing. We could have multiple shows in one show sometimes. That's, that's an interesting idea that we're kind of pursuing. Um, yeah. Why? Why not? It's our it's our podcast. We do whatever we want. Yeah, it's our feeds, so. and we see. have a lot of feeds. Oh, we do. That, that's why this whole section is going to be like another half hour at the end of this year. 
Uh, uh, new things. new spoiling things. They just did Top Gun Maverick. More more combative bickering between uh, Stephen and Vaughn. Right? D- disagreements on the movie. Oh yeah, and they <laughs> always have fan fun. Art. Yes, fan art's fan art. in there. So click on the website. You guys see? Yeah, it. Got, you gotta go to the gotta go to the website to see the the fan art uh, that was done for for them, which is wonderful. It's very 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 well done. And uh, Motor and Cast will be back probably in a couple weeks. We'll probably there was there was the new break. the yeah there was the new Rubber Beast episode. Yeah, that was a lot of fun to record. And uh, yeah, the the kind of like the the again the, it, was, it was like kind of paralleling here the defining film for you guys for the the one that kind of brought you into the fold there. That's the true. Review. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of things going on. Did we miss any shows? There's so many shows. I I don't uh, have a track on shows. Uh, Adventures in Asian Cinema will be back in a week or two. So. Uh-huh. Is, I'm, I'm sure there's a new Kino Thanks coming from the stacks, probably. <laughs> I, I think so, yeah. I think it's I on, like, a FIFA movie that's in the bottom 250. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. United Passions or some crap, <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm guessing that's why they watch that. I hope they didn't just subject themselves to it and they won't record it. They better do something with that uh, wasted I've time. got to. If they're going to put themselves through such misery, they, they should at least record themselves <laughs> for our entertainment. Well, the good news is there's little misery left for us. Uh, the the rest of it's all uphill. I th- uh, da- is it downhill if it's easy? It's, it's gonna a- be it's gonna be some up and down. I think uh, a little later here for, for some of these Altman films. But uh, the the next time is definitely gonna be nothing but up. We're gonna maybe even reach the peak of the mountain. Yeah, uh, it's smooth sailing from here uh, till next week. Uh, so uh, next episode anyway. So until then, I'm Calvin. This is David over there. Uh, Thanks for listening to our podcast. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I really appreciate that you took the time to hear what I had to say. Oh, thank you for listening to my podcast. You have millions of choices, but you my conversations and I post them online for entertainment it's nice to know at least you listen to the show because it's quite the possibility that nobody is listening to me in this modern world things have changed everybody's entertaining who's being entertained